At the University of Arizona Bio5 Institute, we are focused on tackling complex challenges such as disease, hunger, water and food safety, and other health and environmental issues facing our families, communities, and the world. Bio5 brings together hundreds of multifaceted experts that include world-class scientists, engineers, physicians, and computational researchers in a team science environment designed to creatively solve difficult problems. This approach has resulted in disease prevention strategies, promising new therapies, innovative diagnostics and devices, and improved food crops. Join us each week as we talk about science with researchers, staff, and students from the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Science Talks, a conversation hosted by the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute. My name is Sean Caden. And I'm Brick Moreno. And here at the Bio5 Institute, we are passionate about optimizing human health in order to prevent disease and improve the overall quality of life. To provide the community with tools to support their well being during this pandemic and beyond, the Precision Nutrition and Wellness Initiative at Bio5 is hosting a public five month virtual seminar series called the Precision Wellness in the Time of COVID 19. Today, we are very fortunate to be joined by Dr. Bonnie Lefleur, a research professor of biostatistics and a future Precision Wellness series speaker. Dr. Lefleur has spent more than 20 years as both a collaborative statistician and a scientific leader in precision medicine. Thank you, Dr. Lefleur, for joining Ooh. us today. Hello, thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. So, so I'm, I'm very intrigued by your talk, which is coming up, I believe in March, March 15th, a Transition to Normalcy, Testing and Public Health Measures in the Time of Vaccines. My question, we usually open with, a, uh, with an icebreaker. That word normalcy has taken on new meaning over the past year. What, what do you do or what have you done over the past year to, to hold on to normalcy or whatever normalcy is and how you define that? Well, I think I'm, I'm a lucky person because a lot of my work um, doesn't necessarily require a face-to-face -face interaction. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, it, we, we are used to uh, collaborating with people from all over the world and, and, and also um, all over the state of Arizona um, because statisticians just are kind of collaborative creatures. Oh, yeah. Um, from a personal standpoint, though, um, I do need uh, my outlets and my outlet is running. And ah. um, running uh, has been fairly easy for me to continue doing um, because it's something that you can do by yourself and still mm -hmm. get a lot of satisfaction out of it. I do have a lot of running friends though, and they're very social creatures. I'm, <laughs> I'm only moderate. <laughs> and my running has never been something that I had to do socially unless I'm racing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so part of my talk is um, we know that when, when community transmission is high, um, we really do have to clamp down on a, on a lot of our social interactions. And we probably shouldn't be um, doing a lot of socializing outside of our family pod, um, just not safe. However, um, when community transmission of disease is low, 
Mm-hmm. Um, as long as we continue to um, follow public health measures like masking and social distancing mm-hmm. and doing things outdoors, um, they're relatively low risk activities. So running with two or three friends who are as careful as you probably is, a, a, is in general when community transmission is low is a low risk activity. Hmm. So you, you know this podcast is going to be published, so your friends might hear this. No. <laughs> well, we all talked about this. Right. But what we haven't talked about yet, with even with our in our groups, is what does that look like like for the next six months? Because we do have to continue um, a, a fairly high level of public health mitigation for six months. Mm. So what can we do and what can't we do? Um, and what are some of the resources that we have available to us um, to, to understand when what things are safe and what things aren't safe? Mm-hmm. Well, and I know you've, you've given several talks to uh, around the university to try and help people understand the process, uh, what, we've, what we've had to do to try to make the university safe and how we, as part of precision wellness, how, how we stay well as a community, because I mean, we are a community and we, we want to stay connected, but we want to stay connected in safe ways. And that's, that's been the challenge. I mean, Zoom helps, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's still desiring that, that human interaction where you're face to face with people, because I think a lot of people are really missing it. I know I am. Hmm. I miss you too, Sean. well in the vein of the normalcy comment um your upcoming talk transition to normalcy testing and public health measures in the time of vaccines can we have a little teaser about what you're going to be talking about well yes it's pretty simple um one of the talks that i have been giving around the university is around um the testing that was available to our fairly closed community um Mm -hmm. Uh, about about the importance of testing and the different types of tests and and how they're going to be used, um, you know, through the the, the transition uh, period. I'm calling it transition because we're still in mm-hmm. a pandemic situation. We're just in a different um, we're just in a different time mm-hmm. of our of our pandemic, and so that's going to be the first part of my talk. Mm-hmm. And then the second part of my talk is. You know, how do we get through the next six, seven, eight months? Because mm. this is not a light switch. It's not like one day um, everything's going to be back to normal again and boom. Uh, uh, okay, we're all doing the same things that right. we were doing last January. Um, and so we have to think about how we transition and, and more importantly, how we transition socially. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are going to be certain people that um, even for the next six to eight months, and Dr. Fauci is even saying perhaps into 2022, um, mm-hmm. there are going to be some re- kinds of public health uh, mitigations that we're all going to have to try to um, incorporate in our lives. And mm-hmm. it may be different for some people than for other people. And there are actually guidelines for how people learn to interact with each other when we all have maybe different 
um, risk levels and um, because of the types of jobs we do or because of our health situations and mm -hmm. um, how well the vaccines are likely to work in, in certain people. Um, mm -hmm. And so how does one actually start socially engaging um, in a world like that? You mean I can't tell people I want them to stay six feet away from me at all times? Will, will there well, be a point? You absolutely can. Um, and this I mean, from now on, though? <laughs> no, you can't. This is partly what I'm going to talk about is, you know, we, there are, it's, we all are entering into an age of social contracts where, you know, the people that you that are around you um, need to be uh, tolerant to, to you right. um, uh, setting your boundaries and with no judgment. Um, mm -hmm. And you need to be able to withdraw from people who maybe have different boundaries than you. Well, and there should be no judgment about that, right? So we actually learned a lot about this during AIDS because um, remember we had a, a pandemic um, that mm -hmm. killed people and there wasn't any treatment for it for 12 years. And so um, during that time, we learned a lot about how to give people resources for setting your mm -hmm. own boundaries um, with the people that you interact with. Absolutely. Oh, interesting. I hadn't considered the social precedents mm -hmm. historically. And it's actually got a name. It's called harm reduction. Um, harm reduction. Yeah, and it's like it's almost like a science, right? Because we were able to to to, to actually learn a lot about this in public health. Fascinating. So I have a follow up question. What do you think of the term social distancing? Because I know that that's some in some circles people have found that to be uh, um, not the best term. Uh, for what, because we don't want to be socially distanced. I mean, physical distancing makes sense, but social distancing ah. is, is a different, different element. Well, I think the challenge is that the challenge is once you have public health terms that are, that are the widely adopted, that have mm -hmm. a very specific definition, it's very difficult to change them, right? Because then mm -hmm. it gets confusing for people. True. Um, uh, like if, if some people call it physical distancing and some people call it social distancing, then right. I, mean, I think it's fine within your own social circle. This is the importance of being able to have the conversations that mm -hmm. I like to explain to people about what those are, um, because you can call it whatever you want to in your social circle. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that that's the kind of thing when we make these I mean, I hate to say it, social contract sounds like a legal thing, but it's not. It has a it, like there's a terminology that that's more, hey, let's the first thing that we do is let's get our definitions straight for our mm. social circle, right? Um, mm -hmm. For our social circle, we don't like that term social distancing because it it means something more than what I'm really want to have with you. And right. so that that's one of the conversations that you have um, with with your social circle. Oh, I um, love this. And it's and there are actually guidance for how to do this. And let's let's go back and just say one of the ones that has worked really well are professional sports. We yeah. just got done having a Super Bowl. Right. Um, all of those um, NFL teams had 
social, these, these, these pod social pods, or for them, it was a professional pod mm-hmm. and they had rules um, that they had to follow in order to be able to engage in that pod. Now, those were very, very directive. Um, and, and, you know, they were maybe not the same as what we might have in, in, in our social circle, but the idea and concept are the same. Somebody came up with a set of rules Everybody else agreed to those rules so that they could do what they wanted, their, their livelihood, essentially, but right. also what they love to do. Fantastic. And so we're taking those kinds of ideas, which have worked you know, throughout the pa- pandemic for certain segments of society, and we're thinking about how we actually do the same thing in, in our social circles. Mm. scalable for sure and i and i think too when you having the conversation i think if 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 you don't if you don't open up and and start talking about things generally speaking things don't get better i think talking about things helps things get better so making people feel comfortable with engaging in conversations this is my belief system this is just my belief system um, this is what I feel comfortable with, uh, and being sensitive to that. I think we could all use that. That's, that's good life. That's a really good life lesson, in my opinion. I agree. And actually, you know, the good news is that this isn't just, this isn't me. I'm <laughs> just using like people who are much smarter than me have actually already thought through a lot of these things. And there are a lot of tools and resources that are available to people. And so, what I want to do is sort of talk about how these are available, where to look to get these kinds of resources, and then high level, why is it important to have the conversations, Sean? I mean, you know, awesome. if, if you don't, then you assume that people know stuff and right. don't. So this is the importance of having the, the, the whole quote contract unquote idea <laughs> is a way to actually just make sure that you're having the conversation that everybody gets to see and contribute to mm. without us assuming that, that we know how other people feel about it. And then more importantly, as I said before, your, your social circle may have to grow, uh, contract, and, 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 and expand given the environment that we're in. Um, mm-hmm. Let's just say uh, we do end up in another um, a spike or you know, high community transmission type of, of, of a, a condition we might have to contract our social group again. So when, they, when, when community transmission is low, we can expand it a little bit more under certain guidelines. And then when uh, community transmission is high, we might have to contract it. And usually the way that we expand and contract is we look at our, at our, at our, our social contract that we've entered in with our friends and we say, look, you know, I'm not really as comfortable now as mm-hmm. I was before. And so these are kind of the rules that I'm going to have now for my, for my little social sphere. Oh, this is fantastic. And people have to be able to not judge mm-hmm. if some people say, oh, that's way too strict for me right you just say you're not going to lose friends over this you say right 
that's great. When things are better, let's, let's talk about this again. Right. And, and the people who think that that's too much or too strict for them, they, they shouldn't judge and say that person is just you know, a worry word. They need to be able to say, hey, I understand um, you have your boundaries and we'll still be friends when things are better and let's reach out and let's, in the meantime, let's let's have our Zoom back again, our Zoom like happy hours or whatever. Um, so let's stay in touch. And these kinds of, of social like contracts or these social kind of discussions that people have will allow you to do that no matter what's happening in the the, during the pandemic. So it's a really nice way to transition to normalcy, right? Mm -hmm. To what we all hope is normal. Um, but right. what's yeah. normal for you, even in nine, in 2025 might be different mm -hmm. for me. This yeah. kind of conversation is probably going to be a conversation that we're going to be having for a long time. Sure. And I could see becoming commonplace that that's a really useful skill. I, I think I think the public really is looking for clear directives on how they can engage socially. And I think having this directive of flexibility and clear and honest communication, there's your directive. And I think that's probably much more manageable than physical distance, social distance, rather than, you know, expand and constrict as needed and as you're comfortable. Well, I think that there are, I mean, as a public health person myself, I mean, there will be some coin, kind of rules for at least the next six months. And those sure. are going to be kind of strict-ish. Um, but, you know, even, so let's just say, for example, um, during um, very low community transmission, we live in Tucson. You, there's no reason why we can't have lunch together outside at a place where we can be six to 12 feet apart and mm. with four or five people. Um, that isn't actually that dangerous, right? Um, now, you have to be cognizant of where you do that because there are rules, for example, on the U of A campus, they wouldn't like you to do that, right? But Reed Park, on the other hand, um, as long as there's not a ton of other people doing it, is probably a fairly safe place to go and, and, mm -hmm. and sit on a, 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 you each have your own towel that you're sitting on and you can still communicate with each other anywhere outdoors and it's a beautiful day and have lunch. Um, and, you know, when things are tight, you might want, we might not be able to do that, but when community transmission is low, there's no reason why we can't have some, some, some flexibility um, to do those kinds of activities. And for example, really? New York, they did that in Central Park um, when their transmission rates were low. You saw all these people and they were literally setting up towels 12 feet apart from each other, enjoying the- I remember those photos. Yeah, and that's a huge city. Um, so there are a lot of places that have already been integrating this kind of, 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 of I guess, social social pod or, or, or social uh, interaction um, and giving people the resources to be able to do that. So I want to point people in the direction of where they can learn more about this, how they can do it safely, um, highlight some of the, the big ticket items that we have to be able to keep in mind, like awesome. the rules of, of social or physical distance, um, of mm -hmm. mask wearing, because um, it still is very important to do that kind of thing. But just, you know, let's do outdoor activities. <laughs> let's set up rules mm -hmm. so that we can have some of these interactions um, with people. And how can we learn to 
respect other people's rules without judgment, because mm-hmm. that's going right. to be key to be able to do this. Right. Well, and I think too, with so many people getting vaccinated now, we know a lot of people are getting vaccinated in our neck of the woods. That is uh, what I've read and I've heard from multiple sources is this isn't like, like you said, flipping the switch and saying, we're okay now, we're all vaccinated. It is, it is, it is a, let's, let's be vigilant in the now and for the next six months. So this doesn't draw for multiple years if we can, if we can get a handle on it then we can get back to maybe what, you know, kind of interactions. We can give people hugs again <laughs> without feeling like, like it, this is like, oh, you know, we have to stay, we have to stay there. You stay there. I stay here. That kind of thing. It's, it's, it for sure is, is a, we still want to be vigilant even after vaccination. Yeah. So I know that that's, well, that's. I think it's really important for people to understand that the that we have not va- we have not vaccinated a very large proportion. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've done a fantastic yeah. job, but it's been a very short period of time. And this is going to be especially true because, um, you know, it looks like with supply that that you know best case um, there were going to have this admixture of people who are vaccinated and people who aren't mm-hmm. for a, for mm-hmm. quite a while, and so. You don't want to end up in this situation where people who haven't been who people who have been vaccinated are out having a great time, oh, and gosh. then the people who haven't can't do anything. Um, right. You know, we have to be able to be uh, to to kind of all live together for a while, and none of us are safe until all of us are safe. Yeah. I mean, that is yes. the mantra. I, I that you know, I think it's really important, and it's not just all of us in in Tucson or all of us in Pima County, or all of us in Arizona, or all of us in the US, it's all Mm. of us in the world. As we learned from this pandemic, it is a world problem. We live in a world now where things like this, it's not just local, it's global. We are very globally interconnected. And so, I mean, having that mantra of none of us are safe until all of us are safe, we all have to be cognizant of that for a while. And, and, I, and we really can't leave people who aren't vaccinated aside. Yeah. We have to be able to have people who may be vaccinated uh, be able to socially interact um, even with, you know, together and with people who've been vaccinated. So I just, I think it's time. I think people are adult enough to understand that if there are parameters for them to work with safely, that mm-hmm. they will. And um, I mean, I just think, I think it's a good conversation and good for us to start thinking about it. And, and like I said, there are so many smart people who've already worked a lot of this out and I'm going to point people in those directions and just kind of uh, uh, explain to people how we have those kinds of conversations. Oh, love it. Well, one of the terms that I use a lot is give us a clear path. Mm -hmm. You know, we work for we work for a university. There's a lot of moving pieces. Um, it's sometimes difficult to find a clear path, but we still are pursuing that clear path. If you give people a clear path, they sh- they should be able to follow that you know that path to where we all want to go. And that's a, a post pandemic um, post pandemic situation for sure. So. Well, I think one thing that we have learned, um, I've, we've learned a lot, and we're in a different situation than our last huge global pandemic um, mm-hmm. 
um, because we all had information, I mean, at our fingertips all the time. It was coming at us very quickly. And even those of us who synthesize data, like me, had a hard time keeping up with it and, um, and providing the guidance because this changed all the time. And I think it's, I think it's both been very good for people and also very anxiety provoking for people mm. because um, the, the, the information change all the time. And that's just the reality of, of living in a pandemic when everything, everything does change all the time because it changes every day, it changes every week. Um, you know, our, we, our, our transmission rates expanded and contracted and um, there were a lot of other things that happened um, during those kinds of expansions and contractions of, 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 of uh, transmission of the virus. Um, and we were learning as we go. Um, yeah. Now, the, you, the great thing is that um, we had tests, you know, it wasn't really that quick, but we did have tests pretty quickly. Um, mm -hmm. We had a vaccine within a year, which is just unheard of. Remarkable. Yep. Just unheard of. Um, so we are lucky, but that comes at a cost where a lot of the information just changes all the time. So I think that it's been difficult um, and it's still going to be difficult. And a lot of the onus is on us, the information digesters, um, to kind of keep an eye on things. Um, but the best we can do is give people the resources where they can go and find things on their own and, and see where things are updated um, and kind of just give guidance. And then if they want more information, where can they go to find more information? Um, where can they go to see where things work? Um, where can they go to see when things aren't working? Um, and I really like the NFL kind of example because even within the NFL, there's a high degree of variability on how well all of those, the, the measures worked, right? And um, Seattle Seahawks had zero, zero COVID cases. Um, oh. Yeah, during the season, zero. And um, I believe- well, I'm still believe not gonna cheer for them. <laughs> well, you can cheer for them for one thing and maybe- right. Because, right. I mean, that's quite amazing. They were- Yeah, um, actually. And so, you know, it's not that all the other teams did something wrong um, because they did all follow similar guidelines. They just had a little, they, they, they changed theirs a little bit. They had, they mm -hmm. added a couple extra things and, you know, and they were all social things. Like how do you get people to want to um, ah, right. follow the guidelines? And especially with a group of com competitive people, you make it a competition. <laughs> 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 that's the way to do it so that might work in some social pods right yeah. <laughs> you know, you, the people who do this maybe they get they get they get the free maybe somebody will make the bar do the barbecue um mm -hmm. the people who don't have to, have to bring the barbecue the next week or something mm -hmm. like that I and mean, you make it a competition that might work for some people that's great <laughs> it's like it's like we're social scientists in addition to uh, in addition to statistical analysts. Well, isn't that funny? Because I, it is true that when I was thinking about this talk, I, um, there are so many like statistical nuance things that I could talk about, but, and those are also important. Um, but I think this is really important too. And so this is my, my public health um, kind of, uh, and sociology uh, background mm -hmm. actually. 
that drives me to want to do this versus just telling people how cool it's been to, um, to do all of the, to have all of the data and to have that data uh, access and be able to share it with the community so quickly because just like getting a vaccine in a year, um, the ability to get data and information out to people um, mm -hmm. in, a, in like a real time situation, um, this was just the first time I think in history that we've been able to do that. So uh, as, a, as, a, as a data science or a statist, yeah. um, there has been a lot of that that's been uh, very, I guess I'll say exciting, um, only because it's the first time that I've been able to get um, information out so quickly and have it be so meaningful and useful so quickly um, in my career. Wow. Yeah, I think that's a real testament to um, your ability to consider these these con multiple contributing factors interdisciplinary. And I think that's what's really led you to have an, a, a long, successful career. So as, as a wrap up question, what's been your proudest accomplishment to date from this career you've had? Wow. I, you know, <laughs> good huh? question. I'm not going to have more than I one. Know. I know. I don't think I'm, I've peaked yet. <laughs> oh, I love, it's yet to come. Nice. But I think, um, I guess it, I will say that um, I have found this year as challenging as it's been, um, I think that it, of all of the collaborations that I've had over my career, um, that has been really important to, I've been working primarily in cancer and um, mm -hmm precision medicine uh, with and, and precision healthcare with respect to cancer. Mm -hmm. um, I have been able to reconnect with my public health roots in the past year mm -hmm. and my public health colleagues um, in, in the College of Public Health, my epidemiology and my health policy friends um, that I have worked with for many years, but never on a daily basis. <laughs> and yeah. then, where yeah. we're teaching each other as we went um, and working together to, to do what we felt was best for our community. Um, and then also our um, state and local public health office. Um, it has been such a diligent effort on, on the part of all uh, public health, um, both local and, and at the university and at ASU and at a NAU. And local and municipal public health departments. We have worked together uh, for the past year in ways that we never would have dreamed. I mean, all of us have connections with these people because mm -hmm. we have very we have things in common. Um, but boy, we were daily working together over the past Ooh. year, and it has been a phenomenal kind of learning experience, at least for me, um, that I'm extremely grateful for. So I guess that would, for on, on the one hand, that's an accomplishment, but it's not my accomplishment. It's, it's a group of people's accomplishment. But what you're saying is, is the collaborative elements of, of what you're doing and, and, and helping connect the dots. I mean, we, we talk about working for a large institution, working with several large institutions. Mm -hmm. It is difficult to be able to bring people together and communicate uh, I, I mean, I hate to say it takes a global pandemic for us all to work together, but uh, but it has. I mean, with all the the challenges we've had, that has been one benefit. You're you're one of a few people that have have mentioned this already, that you know you've been able to 
to make new connections and bring people to the table and, and talk about something where there's a very focused goal and in alignment with precision wellness. It's like, we're all very focused on, on being well during a time when it's extraordinarily difficult. So, so absolutely. I think the common goal was one thing and also just the, um, the wide ranging experience that you have to bring to the table mm. in order to get something like this to work. Um, and it's just been, it's just been a real learning experience. And, and also just, just very, for me anyway, personally and professionally, um, it's just been, um, a very growth opportunity in, in something that I never thought that I would have ever been faced with. Um, and I just have really enjoyed being able to be, to say that I was a, a very small part of something like yeah. that, um, is, 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 I guess a, a personal accomplishment. Well, I've, I've listened to a couple of your talks. I've found them both to be very, very helpful. And, uh, you know, we're all very nervous. So it's nice to have somebody to come on and talk about, talk about some of the challenges and, and put things into words and just, just be a voice during a difficult time. So I want to thank you for, for being that voice. Thank I really you. do appreciate it. And we want to thank Dr. LaFleur again for joining us today. Uh, thank you for all your work and support and precision wellness research. And we hope to continue to promote uh, knowledge, this kind of knowledge. And your talk is is March 15th, I believe. So uh, please, please join uh, Dr. LaFleur at that talk. I'm sure it's going to be a great one. And for more information on the Precision Wellness uh, talks and series, uh, please check out our website at bio5.org. Please join us for future talks when we continue to highlight our amazing University of Arizona researchers. And to learn more about the Bio5 Institute, again, our website is bio5.org. From all of us here at the Bio5 Institute, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Dr. LaFleur. Thank, thank you. you. To our audience for tuning in to another episode of Science Talks. Continue the conversation with us next time as we learn more about the science happening at the University of Arizona's Bio5 Institute.